0: This hour of The Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. The Mark Reardon Show. I
1: hate people individually, but I love mankind. Oh, you do. The Mark Reardon Show. I got into broadcasting because I like to give. Sometimes I find myself hurting from giving too much.
0: That's why I don't read the newspaper, because it's garbage.
1: The Mark Reardon Show is on now.
2: All right, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, as we get rolling here for a Thursday edition of the Mark Reardon Show on a really crappy, gloomy, rainy, yeah. cruddy, cold, nasty day. Does that cover it all? Yeah, it's, I yeah, so. I, I don't think love so. it. You know, tomorrow I think is supposed to be pretty nice, though. I saw temperatures 54, <sighs> but that's cloudy. That's pretty good. That's pretty we'll good, though. It. We'll take it. Yeah, I think we will take it. I don't think we have a choice at this point. We are, um, Look, I was looking at that calendar today. We're a couple of weeks out from you know people taking off work. Obviously, Christmas would be two weeks from this Sunday, but school for everyone pretty much wraps up two weeks from yesterday. Oh, right? does it really? Well, my, yeah. I think my daughter's last day is the twenty-first, so then you know Christmas break begins. So it will be here before you know it. You know what else will be here before you know it? What? Brittany Griner. Because she's been released, which is a good thing that Britney Griner was released. But there's a lot of analysis today on how Britney Griner was released and what happened to uh, Paul Whelan because he's been left behind. Um, My sister, who rarely checks in on me and anything related to current events, asked me what I thought of this whole thing this morning. And I said, (laughs) my response. Let me see. I read your response. I said, well... I can't comment on that because they'd be misogynistic, racist, and homophobic. So I'm a little fearful of weighing in on this, although I will say this. And this is another one of those things. Now, I'm going to say this on the air, and I'm going to do a caveat here, because I'm not the one who said this. It was somebody else on Instagram, right? So I didn't say this. I thought about retweeting this, but I also thought, if I retweet this, don't if I do put it. this on Twitter, don't do someone it. is going to accuse you. are misogynistic. You're racist. You're homophobic. But this was a great line. This is a win for the WNBA. People finally heard about one of their trades. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's pretty good, Yeah, it's right? good not to retweet. <laughs> I know, but it's pretty funny, and it's pretty accurate. Look, we even have the—and uh, I can understand this, too, if you think about it. You know Randy Weingarten is? She's the, uh, the president of the NEA. Right. I did not know this. You're, so well, Randy Weingarten is the president of the NEA. Thanks. And here's what she tweeted out. What a great. So it's the nation's largest teachers union. What a great relief. Extraordinary news. A basketball star, but also a gay black woman is released. And then she says, this is like one of those parody tweets. It really is. Then she says, and yes, of course, we want other prisoners like Paul Whalen. So totally seems in the wheelhouse of the president of the nation's largest teachers union. Right. And if uh, you think if Brittany Griner only checked two of those boxes, I mean, gay black woman. I don't if if she just checks two of those boxes. I'm not even sure she gets the the tweet from Randy Weingarten. But Paul Whelan was an afterthought. So here's the president talking about this today. Brittany is free.
1: Moments ago, standing together with her wife, Sherelle, uh, in the Oval Office, I spoke with Brittany Greiner. She's safe. She's on a plane. She's on her way home after months of being unjustly detained in Russia held under intolerable circumstances. Brittany will soon be back in the arms of her loved ones, and uh, and she should have been there all along.
2: Well, let, let's face it. It's ridiculous that she was held for this long, but I of also course. this is also what I said to my sister. This is exactly what the Russians wanted. And yes, boy, you, it's a setup. We will not negotiate with terrorists or terrorist leaders. What well, we did in this particular case, right, and I think the Saudis were involved, and we'll get to that here in a second. So she comes in with a little, um, you know, a little marijuana Vape cartridge or whatever they hold her for months and months, ten months of captivity after conviction on drug smuggling charges, and they get this guy back. You want to find out about the guy that they got back? Have you heard about this here 's Killmead talking about victor boot,
0: yeah, i also th- 'm struck by who Victor Boot is. This is pretty amazing. I mean sixty minutes did an extensive feature on him. Uh, He was arming terrorist groups. He was arming drug traffickers. He was able to acquire a fleet of cargo planes that could immediately be loaded and transported around the world and effectively uh, arm civil wars. Think about all the investigators that went together to bring
2: him to take him down and to put him in jail. So he's a guy that is known as one of the most notorious arms dealers of modern times. Yet the president last night at the White House going off about gun issues right so he he, you know the democrats love to talk about guns being the problem so here you got a guy who's nicknamed the merchant of death who is convicted that uh, on counts that he tried to kill americans right 25 years was his sentence and they get him back. Now, I don't know how anyone can make the case that this is an even swap. It isn't an even swap. On the topic of Paul Whelan, who's still there, stuck in prison in Russia, here's the president.
1: We never forgot about Brittany. We've not forgotten about Paul Whelan. But we who's left him. has been unjustly detained Wait. in Russia for years. This was not a choice of which American to bring home. We brought home Trevor Reed when we had a chance early this year. Sadly, for totally illegitimate reasons, Russia is treating Paul's case differently than Brittany's. And while we have not yet succeeded in securing Paul's release, we are not giving up. We will never give up. We remain in close touch with Paul's family, the Whelan family. And my thoughts and prayers are with them today. They have to have such mixed emotions today.
3: You
2: think? Oh,
0: you think
1: my they have gosh. Mixed this emotions? man has
2: been there for four years.
1: Four it, it, years. Now, here's
2: Tony Blinken talking about this. Really, th- this was the if this is how I'm not. I guess a, not a good negotiator. But if the Russians come back and they say, "No, we're not going to do this deal unless you give us the um, you know the Merchant of Death," and they say, "No, that's not an even trade." Right. Right. But they said, "I mean, yeah, sure. Well, we'll, we'll give you him. We'll throw in a few other people." Here's Tony Blinken.
1: We continue to work relentlessly to bring Paul Whelan home as well. Despite our efforts, the Russian government has not yet been willing to end his wrongful detention. They continue to insist on sham charges of espionage and are treating Paul's case differently. As a result, Paul and his loved ones continue to suffer needlessly and unjustly.
2: So the more uh-huh. e- the more even exchange here would be if we had a Russian prisoner who perhaps jaywalked or did right. something like that. Right. right. Yeah. And, and, and uh, apparently Paul said that he was led to believe things were moving in the right direction. That the governments were negotiating. I mean, he actually had hope of uh, of getting out. I think I have some audio. I have to check here. I think I have some audio from his brother where and they're being relatively patient here and diplomatic because they don't want to do anything that's going well, to hurt. Well, I get that. The release. guy is a former Marine. I mean, it, it's not. I just it's awful. It's just awful. Here's um, KJP with Ducey getting into it. In
0: this prisoner swap, why did Russia get such a better
3: deal? (laughs) Look, you know, I've talked about this uh, and I'll say this again. Here were our choices. Our choices was, uh, Britney or no one at all. Bringing home one American or no American at all. And, and they that's that. Professional
0: that's... athlete. We gave up a prolific arms dealer,
2: who was convicted of trying to kill Americans, who was called the Merchant of Death.
3: The professional athlete is also an American citizen.
2: You know, it's a false choice though, because you could have. If this was the request, she's been there for 10 months. You could have done this nine months ago, right? Hey, we we have an American. They they told you what they wanted. This wasn't any secret. So obviously, you you don't do it because it's an unequal swap. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. Okay, we're going to do it because it's the best deal. We're going to cave. You win.
3: So let's not forget that. Who and deserved and suite. so and and, and 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 I've explained how the Russians have illegally uh, treated, totally illegitimately uh, treated his situation. I've been very clear on that. Uh, we've laid that all. We laid that out for you. Uh, and again, the President f- felt that this was an opportunity to bring Brittany home. He is going to continue to do everything he can to bring Paul Whelan home, just like he did with Trevor Reed.
2: You know, I, I don't mm-hmm. know if any Americans uh would want to go to Russia at this point, and I'm not so sure Boy, they you're should. you're not kidding. But what would prevent Vladimir Putin or the Russians to put trumped-up charges on another American yes. and say, hey, we got this person, too? Yeah, They well, know just, how this works with the Americans. They don't right. have to, you, you know, they can just ask for what they want to. Now, on the uh the Paul Whelan question, here's Ducey with uh, KJP. How
0: can you say that he's going to do everything that he can if he said just a few Days ago, he's not going to call Vladimir Putin until further notice.
3: We were able to do this uh, through um, through different channels, right? We were able to do this uh, through uh, a through different uh, avenues, uh, folks from the U.S. government uh, that were able to make that negotiation, have those conversations, and, and secure Brittany's return. Uh, so we were, we have been able to do this, and the president has been committed to getting this done. We are still working to secure Paul Whelan. Uh, at this time, we were not able to make that happen, but that does not stop us. That will not stop us in making sure uh, that Paul returns back home safely. All
2: right. Well, I'm going to have to talk to people a lot smarter than me, which isn't very difficult to find out me exactly neither. what the next stop, you know, the next step is going right. to be with Paul Leland, um in getting him home. Because, look, you, you could legitimately have a situation where something in the next few weeks turns around and maybe he's released and we don't know exactly what the negotiations are. So you at least have to be open to that possibility. But it doesn't seem like that's really what's going on here at this point. And the precedent is now set that just like you said. All right, yeah. we, you go ahead and grab an American, and we'll give you—we have to get them back, well, except for uh, Paul—we'll uh, uh, give you a major, major criminal— that's tried to kill Americans. I I just don't think. And I'm glad that Brittany Griner. I Beck am because, too. Look, she. It was ridiculous that, that yes. she's being held. She went to a penal colony. How oh, outrageous no. is that? It will be very curious to see what she says and how harsh she is on the Russians because there there's a part of me that thinks that you know diplomatically there might be advice to say, look, we got Paul Whalen there. let's, yeah, let's be careful. tone it down. So I, I don't know exactly what the uh, what the protocol for that would be, but it is very difficult. I think for a lot of people to believe that this isn't a big PR boost for the Biden administration as well. You know, if they would have done this before the election, which I'm sure there was pressure to oh. do it, that there would have been more criticism. But you can't convince me that some straight white dude that's sitting in a penal colony who was a basketball player in Russia is going to get the same treatment. He's just no. simply not. This no. is something that, you know, because of the circumstances with race, gender and otherwise, there's going to be more attention. And and that's fine. I think I don't think anyone would have blinked an eye if you got Waylon, if Waylon's in this deal with Brittany Griner for a guy that's worse than both of them, yes. that seems like a pretty even swap. So what, what about the Saudis here? Because there's an indication that maybe they helped with this. The
3: only countries that negotiated uh, this deal were the United States and Russia. And there was no mediation uh, involved. We are grateful for the uh, UAE, as the president mentioned, as I am mentioning now, for facilitating uh, the use of their territory for the exchange to take place. Uh, We are also grateful to other countries, including Saudi Arabia, that released the issue of our wrongfully detained Americans with uh, Russian government uh, that raised that issue. So
2: I I think that Jim Garrity on National Review is pretty good on this today. He said a lot of defenders of the deal will contend that critics are indifferent to the suffering of Griner, which is a dodge and a smear. The question is not, is this in the interest of the U.S. government to secure the release of Brittany Griner? That's a silly question. The U.S. never wants to see its citizens unfairly detained under brutal conditions on trumped-up charges. The question, though, is this. What is an appropriate concession to secure the release of those citizens, and does the payment of the ransom make future problems like this more likely? Yes, it does. That's a rhetorical question, right? And Garrity writes, it's hard to overstate the crimes of Boot." If any human being deserved a rotten prison for the rest of his days, it's him. Longtime State Department official Whitney Schneidman, who tracked him delivering arms to both sides of the Angola Civil War, called him the personification of evil. From the end of the Cold War until his arrest in 2008, if there was an arms embargo, he flouted it. Liberia, Afghanistan, Sierra Leone, Congo, Libya. Wherever there was a, whenever there was a dictator or a warlord, warlord who needed weapons, this guy got them for him. The Merchant of Death—that's why he got the nickname. So, they—they uh, they said this summer, uh, Farah trying to think who that was because I don't have the whole comment—argued Greiner and Whalen for Bout was worthwhile, contending that as an old man, uh, boot Bout was unlikely to return to the arms trade. But there were other consequences glossed over, most notably that by giving Putin what he wants, we make other Americans in Russia more likely to be detained, exactly, and used as bargaining chips in the future. And every other two-bit dictator and warlord around the world is watching and learning, too. After all, if the U.S. government is willing to release Victor Boot, at one point, the second most wanted man after Osama bin Laden, under enough pressure, the U.S. government will release anyone like Khalid Sheikh Mohammed or, um, you know, Sarnov or spies like Robert Hansen. That's the problem here. And I don't know that the administration really thought through all of that. But at this point, it's kind of a moot point. 320, 971 FM talk. Uh, Katie Tubb is going to be with us. She had to cancel last minute yesterday. She's with Heritage. We're going to talk about Energy prices throughout the country and how you're going to be getting some sticker shock probably. Also, Curtis Trent, who's a state rep, another incoming state Republican senator for Southwest Missouri, will tap into his um, legislative preview coming up a little later this hour. we got Sue's news in the next hour.
4: Selling a little or a lot. podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast
0: all-star closer kenley jansen we have a question what's the
1: best podcast of all time
2: Right. how high are your heating bills going to be this winter? Unfortunately, oh. you might need to brace yourself. Yeah, you're going to see some sticker shock. Katie Tubb is with us this afternoon. She's a senior policy analyst with the Heritage Foundation. Wrote about this hard winter that's looming for Americans with their energy bills and wallets. Katie Tubb, how are you? Welcome to 97.1 FM Talk here in St. Louis.
5: I'm great. Thanks for having me on.
2: You know, I was, I was looking at my, my bills from the summer, and they were they were. Up from last year, and I don't know that I've matched them up with um, you know specific energy use or the temperatures, because here in St. Louis obviously it gets hot sometimes, really, really hot, and you have to use a lot of electricity for air conditioning. But I think people are nervous kind of going into the winter about how much they're going to get smacked with high heating bills. And they have justifiable reasons to be worried, right?
5: Yeah. So every year the Energy Information Administration, which is the data arm of the Department of Energy, puts out a report on winter heating fuels and what American households can expect, Uh, again, depending on weather. So they they benchmark it according to either a cold winter, medium winter, warm winter. Um, But what EIA found or projects for this winter is across the board, no matter what region you live in, uh, expenditures per household to increase this winter compared to last winter. Uh, And it, it gets down to... The cost of fuel to heat your home, whether you're using electricity, natural gas, propane, heating oil, they're all going up. Um, So it's another reflection of inflation through the economy. Uh, You know, I think we all tend to think about uh, the cost of energy when we pull up to the gas station, but it it doesn't stop at the gas station, unfortunately. Um, So depending on how bad this winter is, uh, I think Americans can expect to, to see those costs for their household
2: go up. Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, look, we don't, um, and maybe this is climate change related or or otherwise, but we don't get as much snow as we used to here in St. Louis and, you know, this part of the country. We get ice storms and, and, you know, nasty things like that. That kind of gets down into Tennessee, Oklahoma, you know, Kentucky. But we do get these cold stretches, like just brutal cold stretches. We we remember what happened a couple of summers ago with the grid kind of having some issues down in Texas. But if you have something like that where you just have to crank the heat nonstop, that's where you get hammered on, on these bills, I think, right?
5: Yeah. And there's a reason EIA does their winter projections and it's because heating is essential. Uh, more people die because of cold weather than hot weather. Um, and so that's why I think this conversation is so important and why, frankly, energy policy conversation is so important. There, there are times where it, bec- it comes down to life and death issues for people um, and winter is one of those seasons where it is um a life and death issue sometimes do
2: you do you have a, a handle on whether you mentioned all the uh, the different forms of the you know the the fuel propane natural gas heating well is there one that's kind of going higher than the others potentially or not
5: uh It depends on what region you're living in so you know the midwest uh, fair is kind of middle ground if you live in the northeast uh you're you're hit pretty badly across the board but with the the midwest um natural gas is Kind of the main heating source. Electricity follows that, and then propane is the number three choice uh, in the Midwest. Um, and with natural gas and electricity in both cases, uh, the EIA expects expenditures to go up in both of those cases. Um, unfortunately, about 29% increase for expenditures for households that use natural gas for heating. So that's uh, the biggest increase across regions for households that use natu- natural gas for heating. The, the only good side to this is um, the Midwest doesn't pay the most. So while the 29% increase is significant, uh, still, if you live in New England, uh, you have a smaller increase percentage-wise, but you're still paying much, much more. Um, so I guess, you know, the difference between percentage increase and price increase is a little bit different there. Nevertheless,
2: Katie Tum from the Heritage uh, Foundation is with us Afternoon, you know, on the um, let's kind of talk about just the priorities of this administration, where they are right now, because obviously you still have. I was even uh, and I didn't engage. A friend was texting me this morning because we have relatively low gas prices all of a sudden here in Missouri. And I think his point was, hey, you know, everybody complained about the high gas prices. Where's the praise for the Biden administration on lower gas prices? I did not I didn't bite on that one, Katie, but because I knew what this friend was trying to do trying to poke poke the bear a little bit but i I think that those people on the other side are still trying to make the case that this strategy you know they've been pretty honest with the american people about what they want to do with um you know carbon-based emissions and carbon-based fuel they don't want it right so the price is going to go up but then they keep trying to deflect this to other reasons that like putin that these prices are going up
5: yeah to me the, the price decrease that we've seen lately is not for the right reasons. It's not because there's more energy on the market, uh, which is exactly the direction we need to be going. Instead, you know, the price decrease to me is much more a reflection of economic troubles ahead, uh, whether we're talking about here in the United States and recession concerns or more of the global market where we're looking at China, for example, which is a major importer of oil, uh, has had a lot of troubles over there and not for good things. Um and so those those uh disturbing events um or those recessionary concerns are floating up into prices. I will also say though that uh you know I just right before this looked up at the national average for gasoline and it's 3.39 a gallon. And if we think 3.39 per gallon is cheap, uh we're fools.
2: Yeah, that that's not so <laughs> uh, cheap. Yeah. And by the way, the only reason, you know, in Missouri, we get off a little bit uh, luckier just because the taxes, thankfully, are low here. But look, when it comes to the, you know, the broader scheme here, when it comes to energy prices in the future, there's this push and pull that keeps going on. And, and those people like me and you and a lot of Republicans are are interested in certainly making energy available and affordable and certainly worrying about the environment at the same time, but not necessarily assuming that, you know, closing down the country from carbon-based uh, emissions are going to solve issues around the world, especially when you consider what Indian and China are doing. But on the other hand, they keep pushing these things moving forward. You got the Paris Climate Accord. it gets killed under Trump. Then it's reinvigorated or whatever happens under Biden. I guess the point of all this is, wh- wh- where's the end game in solving some of these problems? Because the push and pull isn't really doing anything positive for anyone right now.
5: No, in fact, I think it's incredibly destructive when you've got these massive, massive uh, economy shaping swings between administrations. And the solution is for Congress to re engage. Uh, Congress should be the one driving policy. And instead, we've got presidents of both parties, um, and for many years now, uh, driving policy by way of executive order. Uh, and that, I think, is very destructive. Because how do you operate a business in four year cycles that just it doesn't work that way? Um, So I think that's kind of the first step is Congress needs to reengage and hold this administration and future administrations accountable to following the law.
2: You know, if only there was something out there that existed as a form of energy, I don't know, like nuclear power, which existed, that would uh, solve some of these issues with climate change. Wouldn't that be great if, if someone invented that?
5: I think you have a great point. And I would also say America uh, has a just incredible abundance of energy, whether we're talking about nuclear, wind, solar, coal, oil, natural gas. uh, We also have an incredible, uh, I think, innovation culture to come up with whatever is next. Um, And so to me, that's the solution is to let Americans access that abundance. And I think this administration wants to, uh, circumscribe our choices to a very small uh, solution set uh, without acknowledging that there are some very serious costs to that, uh, including some of the politically preferred solutions uh, don't even exist yet um, or don't exist to scale. And there's, there's real uh, collateral damage to pushing policies that are um, very high in the sky idealistic and not on the ground making sense.
2: Well, I'm, I'm with you on that. We'll see where this takes us. But I appreciate you. Katie Tubb from Heritage coming on here this afternoon. It's an issue that obviously is going to need a lot of attention. I'm always still frustrated by the fact that there's never, I bring this up a lot, maybe the audience gets tired of it, but there's never any effort to talk about these issues in relation to how much um, some energy that wasn't outrageously expensive, whether it's in the form of air conditioning or heating or, or water could help people in third world countries who are suffering, but they seem to bit the, uh, the planet only has, what, three years left. I mean, we got to hurry on these things, right? Se- seven years when Greta started talking to us a few years ago. Now I think we're only down to three or four years. So we got to hurry, Katie, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that was three years left 20 years ago. So. Yes, exactly. Katie Tubb from Heritage, thank you so much. You have a great rest of your week. Thank you all. We'll see what happens with energy prices. I do think that some parts of the country are going to get whacked really, really hard. Curtis Trent is coming up. He is another one of the Republican senators that's coming over from the House side. He represents an area in southwest Missouri. He's going to file some education reform bills. We'll talk about that coming up in the next hour. Victoria Carter, who is with um, Heritage on the Brittany Griner prison release. We'll get into that. And also a little bit later this evening, we'll have my friend John Ziegler, host of the Death of Journalism podcast. He'll weigh in. You know they're going to send reparations to some uh, descendants of slaves in California in excess of $200,000. John will have something to say on that. I'm pretty confident he'll weigh in on the Brittany Griner release as well. That's all coming up a little later this afternoon. Hey, Sue's News coming up in the next hour. Of course, we have a Reardon Roundtable tomorrow. Jane Duker will be on the panel. Mike Elam from the St. Charles County Council. Donna Barringer, state rep, former alderwoman in the uh, city of St. Louis. We also have... um, well, a couple of members of El Monstero coming in. And usually when I bring El Monstero in, I think it's Pasoni um, and who else is coming in tomorrow to think about that, but it's going to be great. John Pisoni, who's the drummer. Oh, Jimmy Griffin, one of the guitar players. I haven't seen Jimmy in a while, and we'll talk about the new El Monstero run at the pageant. Usually, I was going to say, when I have them in, we we try to sell some tickets because they have some tickets available. I'm not so sure they do. Also, a preview of the Mizzou KU game with my old J School buddy, Chris Trevino from the um, Tiger Radio Network, so that's coming up tomorrow. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the incoming legislative session, what the priorities are going to be. We have a couple of state reps from the area like Mary Elizabeth and also Nick Shore, who are heading to the Senate. This guy's also going to the Senate from the House. Curtis Trent, who is a state rep down in the Springfield area, going to focus a little bit on education and some other things. So we're going to have him on this afternoon to talk about some of those priorities. Curtis, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm fantastic. So just a little bit about Curtis Trent. Your Springfield, is that accurate? It's that area down there, right, the district?
6: Yes. Yeah, so uh, the uh, Springfield area, Greene County, is split into two senatorial districts. Uh, I have the 20th. The, uh, the other main uh, senatorial district down here is the 30th. also have some of the surrounding area. Uh, uh, some of the other counties in, in, the, uh, in the surrounding area, Webster, uh, Dade, and Barton counties, for those of your listeners that are familiar with the area.
2: So on your bio, it says this. He also served as deputy chief of staff to Missouri's 7th District Congressman Billy Long. That had to be the best experience of your life because we love Billy.
6: Yes, it, it was amazing to work for Congressman <laughs> Long. It was, uh, it was a great experience. And, uh, the, now, the bad part of it was that you had Barack Obama in the White House. You had Harry oh, Reid yeah. in the Senate. Yeah. So it was a frustrating experience, but it was uh, a really good experience. Uh, to find out how government works, or in most cases, doesn't work.
2: Well, as I mentioned, you know Mary Elizabeth and, and Nick, and you, there's a good group of people from the House Republicans that have uh, been serving for a while that are moving over to I think what's being described as a little bit more of a stable and sane Senate. Would you agree with that?
6: Well, that's the hope, and I and I think I have I have great expectations for this session. I think there's a real opportunity to get a lot of good stuff done. Uh, we have strong Republican majorities. We have a Republican governor. And, uh, and we should be uh, you know Knocking out the policy Agenda that the public has uh, has Sent us to Jefferson City to work on
2: Well let's talk about education reform Look I've been talking about these issues for a long time I think people, uh, you know everybody wants their kids To go to better schools And we, we think we care about Education reform but the, the real To manifest it in some sort of Direction that's going to be positive or change things Is very difficult and I lived in Milwaukee For many years where they had a very successful school Choice program, came to St. Louis, started talking about school choice, even found some Democrats who were in, you know, the city of St. Louis. You always need urban African-American Democrats to come over on the school choice issues. But we've never had great success in Missouri at some of this education reform. So what are you trying to do?
6: Well, so, you know, the the key in my mind is that we we have to find out what the weaknesses are uh, in order to to find the right solutions uh, to those weaknesses. And you know, if you look at the look at the data out there, we've had a general decline in educational attainment. Uh, now, some of that has been has been uh, aggravated by the COVID, uh, you know, situation. We had some learning loss, I think, related to COVID over the last few years. And, and there are other factors, and we could argue about what those are. But really, the point of this legislation is not to cast blame; it's just to get a good grip on what we need to go forward to. Uh, achieve uh, better outcomes for kids. So at Senate Bill uh, 341, we've already pre-filed it, it would specifically uh, change the uh, Missouri school performance rating so at least 80% of a school's rating is based on student growth and academic achievement. And that is really the, the, uh, the gemstone of the bill in my mind. Because you you want the performance of the school when you look at it to know how the school is doing. You want that tied specifically to how kids are progressing in their education, and not all the other factors, you know, like the the kind of bureaucratic paperwork factors uh, that go into it right now. Uh, and can just create confusion over how well a school is doing. Uh, You also want clarity. So this legislation would provide that school ratings are based on a easy to understand A through F letter grade scale by school uh, as well as by district. So not only would your district as a whole get a grade, your individual building would get a grade. Uh, And then, of course, it establishes intervention policy for persistently underperforming schools. like what do we do if we identify a school that isn't doing well? What do we do then to make it better?
2: So let me dial back into the, the evaluation of the districts where now instead of just 40 percent of the districts covering items related to achievement, you want to double that to 80 percent. How are those uh, evaluations taking place? So what is it based on? Is it based on student testing? Is it the STARS test? What are we talking about? So it's going to be
6: based on the performance of the student, uh, you know, of course there's going to be testing that will be done uh, to show that, uh, but it, it's going to be uh, student growth, not just student achievement. So if you have a, a student that's been struggling, uh, maybe they're not going to be able to, to you know, jump two or three grades and catch up, but you want to make sure they're moving in the right direction, that they're accelerating in the right direction. Uh, and, and so, so you've got both of those components in there, not just yeah. But overall.
2: again, how how so? How do you measure that though? What how what basis will that be measured on? When oh, you well, say through, achievement? Through how do you examinations? Yeah,
6: yeah. Through the through the, exam, the examinations that uh, are are administered by the state.
2: So here's what I uh, here's my issue with that, and I just want to bring this up as a real life example because I experienced this a few months ago. We got a letter. I'm in the Rockwood School District with a little uh, seven and a half year old whippersnapper here in the St. Louis area, and she's a really good reader and we've you know we've seen her progress over the last couple of years so she's in second grade so we get this letter back a lot of parents got this a couple of months ago talking about this reading intervention course that they were suggesting that perhaps my daughter Enter into every day. It was like a daily thing. It's 7:15 in the morning. I got her, there, get her there early. So the letter comes back. My my wife freaks out. <laughs> She's like, "What are you talking about?" And I'm like, "My advice was, hey, let's try to keep calm, which is usually not what I do, but I was offering her that advice." So we go back. Uh, long story short, come to find out, she just didn't take the test very well that day. They retested her in reading, and she knocked it out of the park. And basically, they came back and said. Uh, No, we don't want you to take this spot because we need this spot for other kids that really need the reading help. But, Curtis, I bring this Mm -hmm. up because you can't tell me that I hated taking tests and my daughter, maybe she got stressed out. How do you have confidence that this achievement is where the testing actually indicates that it might be? I think that that's a little questionable, isn't it?
6: Well, I, I mean, there's always going to be no, – no system is perfect, for sure. Uh, but if you have longitudinal data uh, where you're not just testing them one time, you're testing them over a period of time. And, and whatever uh, you know, difficulties there are for that particular child in the test, hopefully those would be identified and corrected, like was the case with your daughter. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, they, they should if, – if the problem is a, a test for an individual child – uh that that problem is going to exist across all the tests and if they're improving they should still show that improvement i think that's why the the direction of improvement is a is a key component to this not just the uh the, the total measurement of of competency uh because every every child is different and uh, and hopefully this will be a tool that will also uh let teachers uh evaluate uh you know how how their class is doing how their how their um, whole school district and and school building are doing and and that will help inform uh, how the school responds if there are um, deficiencies yeah. in in student attainment.
2: So, uh, state rep, soon to be state senator Curtis Trent from Springfield is with us. One of the interesting aspects of this piece of legislation, I want you to explain how this would be implemented. Is this would give kids in these schools where the you know the growth is not being um, not moving in a positive direction, gives them the opportunity to transfer to other districts or schools, right?
6: Uh, certainly, I think open enrollment is a part of this of this conversation. There have been open enrollment bills that have been put forward in front uh, of the General Assembly, uh, and you know, being able to uh, get a educational opportunity that is specifically tailored to your student, uh, I think is a, is an important part of this conversation. But we have to be able to measure uh, how the student is doing before we know whether or not they need those individually tailored opportunities.
2: So, I mean, obviously with uh, with the majority that you have and with the governor in, in office, th- this would seemingly be something that could get to the governor's desk, but there's always dissension in the ranks. So where are the challenges here for getting this across the table to the governor's desk? Well,
6: you, you never know all the challenges that are going to crop up until you get into the process and you start encountering those, those hurdles. They are not always the same hurdles. Uh, I think that this uh, bill has a very good chance of passage uh, because it, it does uh, emphasis, place its emphasis on uh, the evaluation component, figuring out what's wrong uh, and, then, and then tailoring solutions uh, to those problems. Uh, and, it, and it's really hard for anyone to argue, uh A, that students aren't suffering, that there, that there aren't challenges that our state has in education, or, or B, that there should be strong metrics to determine the success of government-operated schools. You know, that's, that's the challenge of, of government in any area. There's no market indicator uh, of success or failure. And so we have to create those kinds of metrics to measure whether or not we're succeeding or failing uh, outside of the pricing mechanism that normally uh, gives that feedback to those who provide services.
2: What would the other priorities be before I let you go for the session um, coming up here in the Senate from your perspective?
6: Well, I, I tell you what, uh, I hear a lot of people talking about crime and law enforcement yes. uh, in the state. I <laughs> Especially think that's, here that's in St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and a lot of that is focused on, on St. Louis. Uh, there's uh, There's a lot of talk about Uh, the initiative petition process and and how that works in our state and whether or not any adjustments might be needed there yes the answer to that is yes Uh,
2: as well i can solve a lot of these for you right now if you just want to keep listing them off we can just ask the governor if we can do it that way and bypass the whole constitution because i i do have some issues with that initiative petition uh (laughs) process and have for decades here in missouri so that's interesting i didn't know that was on the list what else
6: I I think that's one of them that's on the list. And then, of course, we've got the whole budget situation. Uh, The the budget's always a big part of the conversation in Jeff City every year, especially as we continue to have uh, fairly large uh, surpluses, in part due to uh, the COVID relief funds that came from the federal government, in part due to Uh, sort of the economic situation that we find ourselves in right now. And so my hope is that tax cuts will be a part of the conversation. Uh, When government has too much money, the challenge is not how to spend it. The challenge is how to get that back into the pockets of the people who earned
2: it. You think some of that money, I mean, we've talked about roads and I-70 in particular, not necessarily the commute down to the Springfield area, but that's something that needs work. There's been options, tax increases that have been rejected, but there's general revenue money that can be used for that, right?
6: Yeah, certainly. If there are big investments uh, in critical infrastructure like I seventy that uh, that we could that we could get done in a way that's responsible, uh, I think that should be should be on the table as well.
2: Curtis Trent, who's going to the United, I'm sorry, I almost promoted you to where Eric Schmidt's going to the Missouri Senate here in just a few weeks to work with our friends um, Mary Elizabeth Coleman and Nick Shore and a host of others. Keep in touch, Jeff Smith. Former Senator Smith made the introduction, so I appreciate that. And Curtis, keep in touch, okay? Will do. I sure appreciate the opportunity to be here. It's great talking to you.
0: Get more at 971talk.com. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time?